Welcome to Quantum Magazine Science Podcast. Come for the science, stay for the stories. For news, interviews, videos, graphics, and more, visit quantummagazine.org. This week, we'll hear about a deep mathematical puzzle that's part of a popular card game. Later, we'll learn about Ken Ono, a mathematician with something like a 19th century guardian angel. Last month, mathematicians solved a problem about the pattern-matching card game called Set. But the problem actually predates the game itself. Mathematicians are stunned by how simple the solution is, and it's already leading to advances in other combinatorics problems. Set was invented in 1974. It has a simple goal, find special triples called sets within a deck of 81 cards. Each card displays a different design with four attributes. Shapes include ovals, diamonds, or squiggles. Colors can be red, purple, or green. Shading of the shapes can be solid, striped, or outlined. And there can be one, two, or three shapes on each card. In a typical game, players place 12 cards face up and search for a set. To get a set, you need three cards whose designs for each attribute, shape, color, shading, and number are either all the same or all different. Sometimes there's no set in those 12 cards, so the players add three more. And sometimes there's still no set in the group of those now 15 cards. This raises the question, how big is the largest collection of cards that contains no set? The answer is 20. That was proved in 1971. But for mathematicians, this answer was just the beginning. There's nothing special about cards with only four attributes. That choice simply creates a manageable deck size. There could be even more attributes. For example, the cards could have more images, play different sounds, or have scratch and sniff smells. So for every whole number n, there's a version of set with n attributes and 3 to the nth power different cards. For each game like this, there are collections of cards that contain no set. Mathematicians call these cap sets, and they ask how large these cap sets can be. Mathematicians have calculated the maximal size of cap sets for games with up to six attributes. But Jordan Ellenberg, a mathematician at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, said we'll probably never know the exact size of the largest cap set for a game with 100 or 200 attributes. There are so many different collections of cards to consider that the computations are too big to do. Yet mathematicians can still try to figure out roughly how big a cap set can be or the number of cards guaranteed to hold at least one set. This question is one of the simplest problems in Ramsey theory. Ramsey theory is a mathematical field which studies how large a collection of objects can grow before patterns emerge. So this is, this is a huge breakthrough because the cap set problem, uh, we think of as a, as a model problem for all these other questions in Ramsey theory. That's Terence Tao, a mathematician at UCLA and winner of the Fields Medal, one of math's highest honors. And it was always believed that progress would come there first. And then once, once we sorted that out, we would then be able to make progress elsewhere. Yet, until now, progress has been slow. Mathematicians established that cap sets have to be smaller than about one-nth the size of the full deck. Many mathematicians wondered, however, whether the true bound on cap set size might be much smaller. They were right to wonder. The new papers posted online in May showed that, relative to the size of the deck, cap set size shrinks exponentially 
as n gets larger. In a game with 200 attributes, for example, the previous best result limited cap set size to at most about 0.5% of the deck. The new bound shows that cap sets are smaller than 0.000043% of the deck. That already was considered to be quite a big breakthrough, but this completely smashes the, uh, the bounds that they achieved. That's Timothy Gowers, a mathematician and field medalist at Cambridge, talking about previous results. There's still room to improve the bound on cap sets, Gower said, but in the near term, at least, any further progress is likely to be incremental. In a certain sense, it sort of completely finishes the problem. To find an upper limit on the size of cap sets, mathematicians translate the game into geometry. For the traditional set game, each card can be encoded as a point with four coordinates, where each coordinate can take one of three values. These are traditionally written as 0, 1, and 2. For instance, the card with two striped red ovals might correspond to the point 0, 2, 1, 0. The 0 in the first spot tells us that the design is red. The 2 in the second spot tells us that the shape is oval, and so on. There are similar encodings for versions of set with n attributes in which the points have n coordinates instead of 4. The rules of the set game translate neatly into the geometry of the resulting n-dimensional space. Every line in the space contains exactly three points, and three points form a set precisely when they lie on the same line. So a cap set is a collection of points that contains no complete lines. In the past, mathematicians used a technique called Fourier analysis to get an upper limit. Fourier analysis sees the collection of points in a cap set as a combination of waves and looks for the directions in which the collection oscillates. Tao said, based on conventional wisdom, that was the way to go. But now, mathematicians have solved the cap set problem using an entirely different method, and they did it in only a few pages of fairly elementary mathematics. Here's Gowers again. It is a surprise that the proof was so short and simple and easy to understand. One of the delightful aspects of the whole story for me is that uh, I could just sit down and in half an hour I'd understood the proof. The proof uses the polynomial method. This method is an innovation that, despite its simplicity, only became popular in mathematics about a decade ago. The approach produces beautiful short proofs, Tao said. A polynomial is a mathematical expression built out of numbers and variables raised to powers. For instance, x squared plus y squared. Given any collection of numbers, it's possible to create a polynomial that works out to zero at all those numbers. Something similar can be done to create polynomials that equal zero at a collection of points. For instance, the points corresponding to set cards. At first glance, this doesn't seem like a very deep fact. Yet somehow, these polynomials often seem to hold information that isn't readily visible from the set of points. Ellenberg said mathematicians don't fully understand just why this approach works so well and which types of problems it can be useful for. Until a few weeks ago, Ellenberg considered cap sets an example of a problem where the polynomial method really has no relevance. That changed on May 5th when Ernie Crute, Sevelad Luf, and Peter Palpach posted a paper showing how to use the polynomial method to solve a closely related problem. In this problem, each set attribute can have four different options instead of three. For technical reasons, this problem is more manageable than the original set problem. In this version, for any collection of cards with no set, Krut, Lev, and Pach considered which additional cards 
could be laid down on the table to complete a set. They built a polynomial that works to zero on these completion cards. Then they figured out a simple way to split the polynomial into pieces with smaller exponents. This led to a limit on the size of collections with no sets. Ellenberg called this a very inventive move. The paper soon set off a cascade of what Ellenberg called math at internet speed. Within 10 days, Ellenberg and another mathematician each showed how to change the argument and polish off the original cap set problem in just three pages. Later, they posted a joint paper combining their results. The trick, Ellenberg said, is to realize that there are many different polynomials that evaluate to zero on a given set of points. Choosing just the right one, he said, gets a little bit more juice out of the method. The new proofs establish that a cap set can at most be 2.756 over 3 to the nth as large as the whole deck. Mathematicians are now scrambling to figure out the implications of the new proof. Some have already explained how the proof rules out one of the approaches mathematicians were using to try to create more efficient matrix multiplication algorithms. And on May 17th, Gil Kalai of the Hebrew University in Jerusalem wrote an emergency blog post. He pointed out that the CAPSET result can be used to prove the Erdos Zamoridi sunflower conjecture, which is about sets that overlap in a sunflower pattern. Gower said he thinks a lot of people will wonder what they can do with this. In a blog post, he called Krut, Leff, and Pach's approach a major new technique to add to the toolbox. The fact that the capset problem finally fell to such a simple technique is humbling, Ellenberg said. It makes you wonder what else is actually easy. That was a recap of Erica Klarish's story, Simple Set Game Proof Stuns Mathematicians. Up next, we'll hear about a mathematical guardian angel. For the first 27 years of his life, the mathematician Ken Ono saw himself as a failure. He was the youngest son of first-generation Japanese immigrants to the U.S. and grew up under relentless pressure to achieve academically. His parents set an unusually high bar. Ono's father was an eminent mathematician who accepted an invitation from J. Robert Oppenheimer to join the Institute for Advanced Study. He expected his son to follow in his footsteps. Ono's mother, meanwhile, was a quintessential tiger parent. She discouraged any interests unrelated to education. His parents got what they wanted. Ono studied mathematics and launched a promising academic career, but it was at great emotional cost. As a teenager, Ono became so desperate to escape his parents' expectations that he dropped out of high school. He later earned admission to the University of Chicago, but instead of studying, preferred to party with his fraternity brothers. He eventually discovered an enthusiasm for mathematics, became a professor, and started a family. But fear of failure still weighed so heavily on Ono that he he attempted suicide while attending an academic conference. Only after he joined the Institute for Advanced Study himself did Ono begin to make peace with his upbringing. Through it all, Ono found inspiration in the story of Srinivasa Ramanujan, a mathematical prodigy born into poverty in the late 19th century colonial India. Ramanujan received very little formal schooling, yet he still produced thousands of independent mathematical results. Some of these, like the Ramanujan theta function, which has applications in string theory, are still intensely studied. 
But despite his genius, Ramanujan's achievements didn't come easily. He struggled to gain acceptance from Western mathematicians and dropped out of university twice before dying of illness at 32. While Ono, now 48, doesn't compare himself to Ramanujan in terms of ability, he has built his career in part from Ramanujan's insights. In 2014, Ono and his collaborators published a breakthrough in algebraic number theory that generalized one of Ramanujan's own results. Ono's work, which is based on a pair of equations called the Rogers-Ramanujan identities, can be used to easily produce algebraic numbers. More recently, Ono served as an associate producer and mathematical consultant for The Man Who Knew Infinity, a recently released feature film about Ramanujan's life. And his new memoir, My Search for Ramanujan, How I Learned to Count, draws connections between Ramanujan's life and Ono's own path to mathematical and emotional fulfillment. Ramanujan benefited from years of mentorship by the British mathematician G. H. Hardy, and Ono credits his own success to encounters with teachers who helped his talents flourish. He now spends a great deal of time mentoring his own students at Emory University. Ono has also helped launch the Spirit of Ramanujan Math Talent Initiative. This venture strives to find undiscovered mathematicians around the world and match them with advancement opportunities in the field. Here's Ono speaking about the role Ramanujan has played in his life. Ramanujan is an inspirational figure. After all, he's the topic of a popular Hollywood film now, The Man Who Knew Infinity. But he's much more than an inspirational figure to me. He's been, he's been an, a guardian angel to me. And as impossible as that might sound to believe, I have to tell you, he was, the news of Ramanujan was very important to me as a 16-year-old. You know, as a 16-year-old high schooler, I was trained that, I was trained to believe that to be successful, you had to be a perfect straight-A student. You had to get, you know, perfect test scores. Of course, they're important. But Mrs. Ramanujan um, wrote a letter to my father in 1984 when I was in 10th grade, over 60 years after Ramanujan died. And that's when I first learned about this great genius who was not well known for grades. If anything, he was well known for being a two-time college dropout, but a real artist, a genius, someone whose mathematical ideas were pure flights of fancy. I learned about him again in college when the Nova special about him came out, and Professor Paul Sally, one of my most important mentors in my life, came along and, and we talked about Ramanujan and importance of his ideas. And then, of course, in graduate school, when the book, The Man Who Knew Infinity, came out, I, together with my advisor, Basil Gordon, we read it, and we got a lot of strength out of it, at least certainly I did. And certainly at those three points in my life, as a high school student and a college student, later as a graduate student, I needed to be reminded and reassured that the time was going to come that I would be evaluated professionally for my achievement not test scores and not grades and in that way I think he's been my guardian angel and you know and, and, and in my work I've been following him professionally and it's worked out very well for me. That was a recap of reporter John Pavlush's interview with Ken Ono, a life inspired by an unexpected genius. You're listening to Quantum Magazine's podcast. 
I'm Karen Chikurji. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a minute to leave a review in iTunes. For news, interviews, graphics, and more, visit quantummagazine.org.